Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Your future lay out there in the bullpen. The starters are out. Now it's time to head to the bullpen. Squad, bullpen, now. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here are the producers of ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Go ahead, call the producers. Who win it now? Joe George, Andrew Carlson. You can find us on Twitter at Joe George Radio, at Carlson Radio. Here with you every Saturday from 12 to 2. You can catch our Sunday edition of the bullpen from 10 a.m. to 12 a.m. tomorrow with... Brian McDonald, R.J. Saunders, and Sean Mapes. They're there with you every single Sunday until Moneyline returns, and then we'll move to 12-2 as well. One more Texans thing here before we get into some Astros. Andrew, got a text um, mostly in gibberish. I'm assuming this is like the worst voice-to-text. Um, Lance is really good at those. He loves voice-to-text. Do you, want me, how do, you want, do you want me to read it like how it says? Yeah, read how, read okay. how it goes, and then we can try and decipher it afterwards. Okay. I have West throw in the towel in on Bryce Young altogether. Is it a foregone conclusion that Carol Anna is picking him? Yes, it is a foregone conclusion <laughs> that, that Carol Carolina Anna. is picking Bryce Young. And I have thrown in the towel <laughs> on him being available at two. 100%. I, I wish I, uh, uh, 1185, we're just giving you a hard time. Uh, thank you for the text. I, I agree. I, I think that it would be stunning if Bryce Young is not the first pick in the draft by the Carolina Panthers. Like, I really don't. I think you're going to have to. The only way it's not that is I think the Texans at this point might have to trade their 2024 first-round pick to move up a spot. They would have to give up 12 and probably then some to yeah. move up to one, which you just can't do. And you could have done it. Like, you could have with Chicago. You know, Aaron Wilson from KPRC reported that it was going to be the 12th pick in the draft to move up one spot with Chicago. And you could have done that. And I think they should have done that. But at some point is, is that like you have to move forward as a franchise. And like, you didn't win that. You didn't lose that game. You didn't trade out for the pick when you had the chance. And like, and now it's probably too late. I, I Carolina moved up to that pick for a reason. They were never shopping it. That was all garbage mm-hmm. from, from the get go. Like there was, there was never any chance that, the Carolina Panthers were going to trade the first pick after giving up DJ Moore a first in multiple seconds. This isn't draft day. We're not doing that sort of these sort of wacky draft trades where you trade up and trade down from the same pick. Like that's not going to happen. And Schefter said it a couple weeks ago, and I think he's 100 percent on the money. The Bryce Young ship has sailed for the Houston Texans. You had your opportunity mm-hmm. first in Week 18. You blew it then. You had another chance to try and trade with the Bears to go up to number one. You blew it then. At this point, you've made your bed. You just got to lie in it. Yeah, and I think it's a huge. It's a, they. I think they made a huge mistake, and maybe that they thought that you know where they at where they were at. They thought they would be comfortable with C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, and that's why Nick Casario balked at the idea of trading up to the number one pick at the time. I believe that's clearly the case. I think so too. Like I, I think that they thought that they were going to go through the evaluation process, and look, the assassination of C.J. Stroud character has has been in full force. Okay, the the S two test test. The S2 test results 
were leaked. And frankly, I think they were leaked to make CJ look bad. You got this Brady Quinn thing, which like I saw you and Lamont going back and forth. Like, yeah, it, what Brady Quinn wasn't said that bad, but like David Mulligetta did send his goons like on Brady Quinn, like guys that like he has very close connections with the same guys that like defended Justin Fields like relentlessly last year. And but like it's just all out, you know, the stuff about him. You know, one of the reporters I was listening to, I, I can't remember from the NFL Network, said that they were told that I think it was Bucky Brooks said that teams are are saying that C.J. Stroud thinks he knows better than the quarterback coach and the head coach. And that would track with the comments that Nick Casario made on KLT earlier this week where he talked about someone that came in the building, one of their top 30 visits, that came in and had less than kind things to say about his coaches in college. And if if that was C.J. Stroud... And we'd be making a lot of assumptions there that it could be. Sure, because it really could be in the, any of the other three quarterbacks. But Yeah, but like it, it would just continue to track with all these other reports that we've had sort yeah. of coming up to the surface about issues with character and uh, ability to recognize defense and everything else. And it, it, it's just been a draft process that has been extremely unkind to C.J. Stroud, to say the least. Yeah, I, I really wonder like if he falls past like seven, let's say. Like what is... For any of the three quarterbacks, like if they get past seven, what's that slide going to look like? I think it's going to be fascinating on draft night because you know it's, it's it's remember this is the NFL media. I think in large part has been overvaluing the quarterback position when they do mock drafts. Like last year, we saw people putting Malik Willis in the first round. He went in the third. You know, people had you know Kenny Pickett going in the top ten. He went twentieth. So like, could we see a Will Levis, Anthony Richardson slide out of the first round? No, I think no the answer, shot. I think the answer could be yes. I totally disagree with you. Because I, I think last year was just like complete and total anomaly. I, I it could be, but like I really wonder like if these guys like people don't like them as much as as like we're letting on, and like that like the because so Daniel Jeremiah and, and McShay what they said on this podcast too was that like they said that that they're getting their information. McShay was very upfront. He's getting his information on the quarterbacks. From teams that don't need one, so like he like it's like in theory, it's like an Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs saying, "Look, if we were in that position, we would take that risk on Richardson." But they're not getting the feedback from the teams that need a quarterback that love Anthony Richardson or love Will Levis, and that's where I just wonder, like, could there be some kind of slide? And it's also just how much are these teams lying to you? Like, how much is Washington telling you the truth about being in love with Sam Howell? How much is Tampa Bay lying to you about being cool with Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask? Like, those are the things we just don't know. Yeah. Like, I can't wait for draft day. It's going to be so fun. We're going to be live at Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage on Southwest Freeway, giving away a 75-inch TV. All you got to do is show up. Or you'll enter a raffle. You're going to have, uh, it's going to say, what will the Texans do with the second pick? You're either going to circle trade or you're going to write a player. And then you're same thing for the 12th pick. And if you get both right, you'll be entered in a raffle to win a 75-inch television. John Granado, Jeremy Brandon, Paul Gallant, Patrick Crate will be broadcasting from 7 to 11 on the station and at Valencia's on Southwest Freeway that night. Wheelhouse will be in Kansas City for the draft, all brought to you by 1800 Tequila. Let's get into some Astros here just for a little bit, and we'll kind of carry this into the next segment. So the summer of, uh, of GM Jim Crane, and uh, or I guess it's really the, the winter, the winter of GM Jim Crane and yeah. Jeff Bagwell. The off-season yeah. of GM Jim Crane and Weird special advisor Jeff Bagwell. So their big moves were um, 
bringing back Michael Brantley, who's obviously played no games. He's hurt, whatever. I think we all kind of expected that in a way. Uh, Jose Abreu and uh, re-signing Rafael Montero. Those were like the three things. 20 games into the season, I think it's really hard to give a any analysis on, on Brantley, obviously, because um, I think they knew this when they signed him. I don't think they realized that he would be out this far into the beginning of the season. That's, and everything, that might be fair. Everything that Bagwell said, and maybe it's hard to take assistance to the general manager, assistance to the owner, whatever the hell his title is, Jeff Bagwell at his word. But it sure seems like he thought Brantley was going to be ready by opening day. And yeah. he clearly was nowhere near that. All right, so this is my, my overall view on that, is that uh, Jeff Bagwell was mostly speaking out of pocket this offseason. Um, he was wrong about that. I think he's wrong about how much the team and the organization wants Jordan Navarez to play in left field. Uh, I know for a fact that he got slapped on the wrist by Jim Crane by making his anti-analytics comments uh, in front of the media. Jeff Bagwell was never supposed to be at any of these press conferences. He was supposed to be, like, be on the side. But then Berman would just go find him, and then people would flock to him. And then he just started yapping. He just starts talking. Baggy needs some media training um, would be uh, my number one advice. But there's also a reason, I think, why you haven't heard from him since Dana Brown got hired. I think for the most part, like, I get, I think he was just wrong. I think he was just speaking out of turn. That's fair. It's, it's, like, it's just like my honest opinion, just like knowing, like, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff of, like, the, about, like, the analytics thing that happened when basically when he dumped on Yuli, like, all that stuff was just, it seemed like it was a little out of line. So, yeah, it hasn't been, but, so... I get your point, but I also I also agree that they they also might have thought Brantley was going to be ready. But he had the you know some personal stuff happen during spring training, some so, unforeseen setbacks. So which you know obviously we don't know any details about, but he where he left spring training um, two separate times, like in like very short stints. So no return yet from Brantley. Uh, but we'll get into really the meat of of what those guys did this off season and and how we feel about. The, uh, the winner of Jim Crane and Jeff Bagwell and their return. We'll just get into some other Astro stuff, too, as they take on the Atlanta Braves tonight. He's Andrew Carlson. I'm Joe George with the bullpen here on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to the bullpen on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. He's Andrew Carlson. I am Joe George. You can find us on Twitter at Carlson Radio at Joe George Radio here with you till two o'clock. All right. The winter of Jim Crane and Jeff Bagwell brought back Michael Brantley, uh, re-signed Rafael Montero, brought in Jose Abreu, let Yuli Gurriel go. Um, it was a, it was a, I thought it was a good offseason at the time. My biggest criticism at the time was that you know, it's funny because I wasn't working with Jeremy and Joel at the time, but like, I was aligned with them of like, they didn't add uh, uh, an Aledmus Diaz replacement. Well, funny enough, they didn't need one. Mauricio Dubon's here. They fixed Mauricio Dubon. Uh, the fact that he has a 15%, a 15-game hitting streak, his, dude, he gets down in the, in the count a lot. Like, but then he just battles out of it. Like, he is a fascinating watch. Like, to the guy that they acquired when they got rid of Nico Badrum, and then, like, for what Dubon was last year, and what he is now... Like it's night and day. It's been a fascinating development, and I'm going to be very interested to see if it's something that's sustainable throughout the majority yeah. of the season. Because I don't expect them to hit 340 
for the rest of the year. If he does, hey, Jose right. Altuve, you might not be playing at second base. <laughs> Sorry, Altuve, you're the DH now. Um, but like, you know, I, I was critical of, I thought I thought maybe they would keep Christian Vasquez. Um, but you got, you know, three years, 33 million. That's a pretty hefty contract for a backup. And look, they're not playing their main guys. Like they're not playing Diaz. They're not Corey Lee's in the minors. For a reason, because they wouldn't be playing. He doesn't have to be a backup, Joe. You could just jettison Martin Maldonado and actually Look, play Christian Vasquez. It could have been an option. I've been there. Maybe done. in my fantasy lands. Uh, I wish, man. But they just... The Astros and, and Dusty Baker specifically just firmly believe that Martin Maldonado's value is so high that it's irreplaceable. And I, I sort of get it, but I felt like you know knowing that you know you're you're gonna lose like you're you're not gonna you're gonna have nothingness at the bottom of your order when you could have had a prospect or two like battling for that spot would have been nice. I I do really do think that Diaz will eventually be the everyday catcher by the end of the season. Look from your lips to Dusty's ears, but well, I think they made a mistake last year. I would have traded Jose Arquiti for Wilson Contreras. You and I both. Now he got hurt five days after the deadline, so it worked out. But I'm just so over the worshiping of how great Martin Maldonado is behind the plate. Yeah, because for sure. I just, I can't fathom a world where it truly means as much as Dusty Baker seems to think it means. And let me ask like, and I would ask Dusty this, this question too is, you know, does playing Yanni Diaz one out of every six games, does that really set up your franchise for a success? Knowing that Martin Maldonado, there's like a 95% chance he won't be your catcher next year. Does Dusty care about next year, though? That would be my question yeah, for Dana, my response to Dana that. Dana Brown was on with uh, uh, Heyman, I think, and, and it was a New York-based podcast, and Dana Brown was on, and he he said that they have not talked extension yet, but it has been, he did not deny it for Dusty Baker, that like that they would not talk about it. Now, I, I personally, I, I don't think... Dusty Baker will be back next year. I know I'm on the record that AJ Hinch will be back. Uh, I, I think he. I think there's. I think he will be. Like he's going to be a free agent. He's not going to want to stay in Detroit. Dusty could retire, and and Joe Espada is kind of getting that like very differently because he doesn't have any checkered past to my knowledge. He's kind of getting that Eric Bieniemy t- treatment, you know, where like Bieniemy because he's partially because he's coaching so deep into the season, he can't really be part of the, the coaching cycle. And Joe Espada's kind of dealing with that too. Like the fact that he wasn't the Royals coach this offseason, like blew my mind. Like, what are we like? How do teams not want to have a guy like Joe Espada, but they just don't? And so I think, yeah, you're right. It's a good point. Like, does Dusty care about next year? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Uh, my guess initially would be no. Probably fair. But again, we don't know that for certain. So we can't say. Well, he said if he wins one, he wants to win two. And if he wins two, he's going to want to win three. Oh, uh, look, as long as the Astros Dude, keep, they winning, keep winning, if they keep winning World Series, Dusty can look. stay as long as he wants, and we can all bitch and moan about whatever the hell he's doing because clearly it's working. Look, if the idea is that at Minute Maid Park and, and at the end of October or November when the World Series ends, it's Dusty Baker saying, let's party and why not try to win three? Cool with me. Like, forget AJ Hinch, forget Joe Espada. I'll take being on the field again when the Astros won the World Series and everyone's singing "We We Are the Champions" at the top of their lung. Like top five moment in my life being in the stands for that. I, yeah, I that was, was incredible. I think I would want to go as a fan next time. It was really cool to be there as a media member, just being on the field and then going in the, in the clubhouse after. Just I never thought I would experience something like that, like in my career, like talking to Lance after the game, just like 
Like you walk into the clubhouse and the World Series trophy is just sitting there. And I was like, this is awesome. Like it's so hard. It was so hard not to like break and, and like not be like just like enthralled in the moment because like you just don't. I don't know. Like you never think like you're actually going to get to do something like that. And it's the only sport you can really do that. Right. Like if the Texans ever won a Super Bowl, like we could all go cover the Super Bowl, but like we're not going to be next to the Lombardi Trophy. Yeah, you're not in the locker room. Yeah, like you're just like, or you are eventually, but not like during like when the like the party party is happening. Um, but how do you, how do you feel about the rest of his his offseason? Montero's been shaky. I was very against the Montero extension yeah. when it happens, and even more so after his start to the season. He can put stuff together, but I think Rafael Montero, what we saw from him last year was far and away the best version you are ever going to get of him. And to give him a three-year contract at the money you gave to him, at, the, at like the level and at the money you did, just speaks volumes of the lack of experience you had with whoever was dealing with that contract at the time, in yeah. Jim Crane and Jeff Bagwell. He's, he's going to end up being okay. I don't think he's going to like be the reliever and be the pitcher that he was last year, but at the same time, breath i also don't think that he's going to be as bad as he's been to start the season like his whip is nearly two he has been really 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 bad to start the season from a getting runners on base perspective now he's gotten out of a couple jams he had brian abreu come save his ass a couple nights ago brian abreu that was like that was a incredible this guy is your closer it was a ridiculous houdini act and he's in my opinion, the best pitcher on the team right now. No, he is because he, what was so special about that outing for him was that like Montero gets into a jam. Abreu's not warming up. So like he gets ready. He already so quick. And then he put out the fire perfectly. Like we were talking about this on the killer bees this week. Like what should Brian Abreu's role be? And like, you know, I think Joel was kind of saying like he should be the eighth inning guy. And I, and I think in a perfect scenario, like in a no hitter, he's your eighth inning guy. But Brian Abreu, like he is, he's the fireman yep. of this team. Like it can, he can pitch in the fourth, fifth, sixth through eighth. Like, you know, it's just like you gotta, like, you just put him in when you need him. And that's so valuable for a team to have to have a pitcher who is flexible enough to basically go into any situation. If you can say, "Hey, this is a three-two ball game. We're in the seventh, and we need you to get through the heart of the order right here." Throw Brian Abreu in there, gets through it. No problem. Hey, we've got runners on first and second, no outs, sixth inning, fifth inning. We got to pull the starter. Hey, Brian Abreu, you're going in there. You get out of the inning. 100%. Damage limited. And in the playoffs is when that sort of pitcher becomes so much more valuable. So to have that sort of luxury of someone who's getting that experience doing that in the regular season, I think is only going to pay dividends once you get to the playoffs. Yeah, Rafael Montero, like the biggest issue, like, yeah, he, I think they overpaid him a little bit, but. You know, they set the market, uh, and then people, you know, they followed suit pretty quick. Like, you saw some bad contracts. Like, Taylor Rogers, like, got $10 million. You know, Dave Robertson's 37 years old. He got, like, 10 or $11 million. So, like, Montero, for, like, what they set the market and people followed. Like, there wasn't a huge course correction. Um, so, I, I think it is it is an overpay. But also, the the big difference with Montero versus, like, any other player who got the same contract they just don't pitch on the quality of bullpen that the Astros, that Montero pitches in. That's my big issue with the contract is the fact that did you overpay? Yes, you did. But did you pay it of like, it's, it's one thing if you overpay at a position of need, 
where it was something that you can say, hey, the Astros really needed to make a move here. Did you really need to make a move to overpay your setup guy? I don't think so. Knowing what you had in Brian Abreu, did you really need to make a move to overpay Rafael Montero? I don't think so. I, I no. just think that like, that's that's my big issue with it is this money could have been spent better elsewhere on the team. And for instance, like I talked at the start of the segment, maybe instead of paying Rafael Montero, you keep the bullpen as it is with the rest of its pieces. You bring, bring back Christian Vasquez at three years, 33 million, yeah. something like that. And I think that is makes infinitely more sense for this Astros team than bringing Rafael Montero back at the money you did. Yeah, look, I, I think they're $18 million under the luxury tax right now. So, like, they're not, you know, they're not tight for money of before, you know, Jim Crane's going to get taxed. But this, look, the Astros, I think they made the right decision because they weren't on the same page with Jim James Click. Uh, they made the right decision to move on. But when, when, when Jim Crane told the media and told all the fans that they were going to hire a GM by the end of January, and then they definitely did not do that or the start of January, and none of that happened, you know, you knew things were gonna, questionable. Things were going to happen. Thankfully, I, I don't think they did. Um, I don't think they made any mistakes big enough to where like it ever is going to cost you long term. That's the situation they're in, though. It would have to be a massive mistake to derail all the work that has gone into getting to the Astros to where they are at this point. Like their their roster is so well constructed, and their organization in general has been so well run over the past five or six years. It's just going to take a consistent stream of relatively major mistakes yeah. to derail them from the path that they're currently yeah, on. Yeah, and just quickly on Jose Abreu, you know, we talked a lot about last week, you you know, about how the hard hit stuff wasn't there. The chasing's been pretty high, but he's looked better. He's, and like, it's been good, but not good enough, is yeah. how it's call it. Yeah, I agree. Um, but thankfully, this team's so good that they can, you know, hopefully it's just a slow start and they can, he can withstand that. Because I, I, I wouldn't call it a bad signing because I think based on everything, like it was a good signing. You're just hoping that old age and wake up and kick him in the ass and pin him one, two, three. The type of like, contact he's made over the past couple of weeks or past week, really, yeah. since we talked in, about his early season struggles last Saturday, it's been better. The way it sounds off of his bat and where the outs are coming, it's looked significantly better. The only issue for me really over the past week has been the chase. Yeah, for like, sure. Like he's been chasing after some stuff that he should not be chasing, but the type of contact that he has that he's been making has me much more optimistic about the trajectory for the rest of his season than I was a week ago. He's Andrew Carlson. I'm Joe George. You can find us on on Twitter at Carlson Radio at Joe George Radio. Coming up next, we got a special guest coming in. Our guy Ruben Nije is the starting right tackle for the Houston Cougars. He's going to join us, give his perspective on the Texans draft, some of the pass rushers that he's seen from high school to college, and uh, what the Texans could be doing at the number two pick if they don't take a quarterback. That's next here on the bullpen on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Broadcasting live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's the Bullpen on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. The Bullpen here on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Joe George, Andrew Carlson here with you till 2 o'clock every single Saturday, just five days away from the NFL Draft. And uh, today we brought up our guy Ruben Unige, right tackle. Yes, sir. University of Houston Cougars. Go Cougs. Hey, blessed to be back again, you know. Yeah, thanks, man. Make a history every time. Um, so we're going to get into some draft stuff here because obviously we've been talking a lot about it. Uh, yeah. The number two pick, Texans not taking a quarterback most likely. It looks like it's going to be Will Anderson. Um, 
obviously you don't like that one Andrew no I'm, I'm, you need a quarterback in the first round for sure <laughs> you need a quarterback in the first round I feel that second pick uh, how would you feel like as you know like a, a fan of the NFL yeah. obviously playing in college football like you know the value of the quarterback position. Yeah. So, like, they don't take a quarterback. They're going to roll with the same dudes they've been rolling with before. Yeah. Like, I know you can't besmirch the name of Case Keenum. Yeah. Probably one of the best Cougs of all time. Go Cougs. But, like, if they don't take a quarterback, like, what's that like in the locker room when you don't have a quarterback on your roster? I mean, I feel like in the NFL, it's probably a little bit different than college and maybe more, like, they may look at it as, like, all right, we're going to rebuild probably. They might, you know – Take somebody with that pick, like you said, you mentioned Will Anderson. I think they could trade it, you know, get probably more picks to potentially get the quarterback that they do want. Maybe in the next draft, who knows, they may have their eyes on somebody. But the team probably just feels like, you know, if they don't get a quarterback, that the, that the ownership, you know, they're probably not that serious about winning now. Yeah, for know? sure. Yeah, and that's definitely like, I think we all kind of feel the same way. Andrew. Yeah. It's like, it's just like, it's tough that like, the fans want a quarterback because this is a, a franchise has never had a quarterback, and like, yeah. and you're very the one time you did, he wanted out. Yeah, <laughs> it's tough. So like, if you look at if it's not a quarterback, Andrew, are you solely Will Anderson then at two at least? If you're telling, I know you me, want them to yeah. go back in. Look, but. if you're telling me that I can't have a quarterback and that's no longer an option at number two, then I would have to say Will Anderson based on the production that he had in college. Tyree Wilson, there's been some whispers and talk about him, but. Will Anderson was a Heisman Trophy like invitee as a defensive lineman. Yeah, like that, th- that doesn't happen all that often in college. Like he produced at an exceptional level in the SEC for two straight seasons at Alabama. Like yes, his his sack numbers and stuff were down last year compared to the year before, but he was still he still led the SEC in sacks. Like he was a fantastically productive player at Alabama, and to trade that away for a guy who's got some good physical traits in Tyree Wilson. Like I, I just could not understand the logic or reasoning behind doing that after you did damn near the exact same thing, picking Derek Stingley over sauce Gardner last season. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, no, it, it's, it's production versus traits. Like yeah. that's, and that's the conversation with it. But like, so like Ruben from like your perspective, like as, as an offensive lineman and you yeah. look at a guy, like I know you've seen Will Anderson play and some of these guys like, and you know, Tyree Wilson, like, you know, you're going to be in the Big 12 next year now. So, like, you're going to play guys more like him. I actually faced him last year. Oh, did year. you? La- yeah, oh, yeah, you guys yeah. did play Tech last year. Yeah, so, like, yeah, yeah. so tell me about Tyree Wilson and what you think of, like, Will Anderson. Yeah, nah, Tyree Wilson is, like, a big guy. He's, like, my height. Two what, seven, like five. Yeah, 270. So, like, Oof. you know, he's a big guy. But as an O-line, I'm not really worried about his, like, athletic ability in terms of, like, speed and get mm-hmm. off. I just know he has length and strength. Will Anderson, when you watch him, you know, he's a – Kind of like a, he's not your traditional DN. You know, he can do a lot of things where he's in coverage, where he may be in like a linebacker position type deal. So, like, he shows his value there. But I feel like you guys are missing Jalen Carter. Yeah, so I feel like I would take him with the second pick if I'm not taking a quarterback because Jalen Carter's tough, though. I think he's, I think he's a guaranteed, as long as he stays on the field, a Hall of Fame player, like more than anybody else in his draft class. Here's the thing I agree with you, but like, it's it, for like it's it's hard. You can't ignore like the, what happened off the field, you know. So like in between their last Georgia's last game of the season yeah. and the college football playoff, like he gained a lot of weight, and and you could see it in the playoffs where like he's on the sidelines, you know, every two or three plays. Got the oxygen mask, yeah, the oxygen mask. You know, and then look, you know, the stuff happened where he's at the scene of a crime where two of his friends, you know, sadly passed away when they were street racing, 
And then the combine, like his pro day, he shows up overweight as well and can't finish his drills. So, like, I 100% agree. Like, Jalen Carter will, and it'll likely end up playing. Like, there's, a, I think there's a good chance it plays out like Laramie Tunsil. Like, Laramie Tunsil is like one of the best left tackles in the NFL. He's been one, but because the gas mask video came day up, came out on draft day, like he fell in the draft. Like, Carter, you know, if Jalen Carter goes to, like, the Seattle Seahawks at five, or even, like, the Bears at nine, or if he falls past that, and he's in the right situation, yeah, I totally agree with you. Like, yeah. he's the best player. In the and, I, and I feel like you're saying the off-the-field stuff can kind of deter you from, like, how good he is as a player. But I feel like at the end of the day, it's the it's the NFL. It's like, what can you do for me on the field? Like, yeah. And I know if I was a GM, I would look at him, and I'm like, all right, I would entrust that, you know, I would have good mentors around him, probably put some, you know, clauses in his contract where, like, sure. you have to maintain this certain weight, which they already do have that in contracts, but, like, Things like that. You can to, go. You can go past like the norm. Exactly. Yeah. Just to make sure that like he's going to be available for us to use. Yeah. You know. So I I don't think I don't think he's on the board for the Texans at two. But like that Andrew, sucks. like if they took Stroud at two, but Carter was there at twelve, it's hard. It would be hard to pass on that Fred, level of talent that he has at twelve. Like Ruben mentioned it. If you're talking about just pure on field talent. Jalen Carter is probably the most talented football player 100%. in this draft. Like, 100%. I don't think that there's really a whole lot of debate about that. It's just a matter of, are you going to have the structure in the organization to yeah. let him be the pro that we know that he can really be? And maybe patience. Yeah, and and I think that you could trust D'Amico with that. Like, what it would come down to for me is if D'Amico, if he's there at 12 and D'Amico says, hey, you know what? If you take him, I will make sure that I put bring him under my wing and we are going to build this organization in the right way so that we give him every opportunity to become the player that we know he can yeah. be. If, if D'Amico is on board with taking him at 12, because he's the guy that all offseason has talked about character, and basically every time he's been asked about what type of players he wants to bring into the organization, D'Amico Ryans has talked about the character of the player. If he believes that he can be the guy that leads Jalen Carter, then that's the situation. Yeah. I'll be like, hey, take him at 12. I got another name for you here, Ruben. A guy that I, I think, I believe you said you know him, you played against him in high school, or uh, Nolan Smith. Oh, yeah, he was my teammate. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. so uh, he's a little lighter. You know, he's 239, yeah. but he ran, what, under a four five forty. Fast So, like, he's crazy, super athletic, but, like, he's, you know, 239, like, you can do a bunch of them. Like, you can kind of put him inside, outside, off the ball. Like, you can do, you can go out wide. Like, there's a million things you can do with yeah. him. So, like, from, like, where you view a guy like that size, do you think someone like that size is going to translate well to the NFL still? Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm, like, that speed he, is crazy. He kind of fits in that Will Anderson category for me where, like, you can do a lot of different things with him, like you mentioned. So, like, you have the athletic ability. You got the mentality. You know, all you need is a the right structure, the right defense to, you know, for him to go in and it fits him. And I feel like he's definitely going to work out. He's going to – shine like all what's gonna shine is like all his like you know natural potential like talent all the things he got for sure but he's definitely a dog definitely a dog who's your like who's some of your favorite players in this draft you got anyone favorite players that, in this draft that are not kooks i mean that are not kooks i i'm an online guy okay i like, I like darno right okay right tackle for tendency you know i like to put you know i've seen a lot of people putting him as like as potentially the number two tackle in the draft, I think he's a number one tackle above Skaronski. Yeah, sure. yeah, I think I think Skaronski's more of a guard. Yeah, like uh, he's got little arms. <coughs> like so, yeah. like can you explain that to me? So like Peter Skaronski plays right tackle, 
left tackle for Northwestern yeah. the whole time, right? But now it's like as soon as he's gonna go to the NFL, his arms, he's got little arms. So I like, mean how like yeah. how how big do your arms have to be to play tackle versus guard? That's just like all right, this is what I honestly feel like it as an athlete, it's just a bunch of people who are talking about the the arm left are a bunch of people who probably never played the position. Sure. So they they don't really know. They're just going off of like, oh, the average, you know, tackle arm left in the Has league. X. Exactly. Yeah. And he's below that. He has the arm left of a guard. So sure. They don't they're just going off of like, you know, generalities and all that. But when it comes down to the plays about what how you use what you got, you know. So if you have if you're a guy like Peter Skronsky, like and you had shorter arms. Yeah. How does that change, like, the way you play the tackle? I mean, you just can't be as aggressive. Okay. Because, you know? like, if you're going to be a, an aggressive puncher as a offensive lineman, you know, with short arms, you're probably going to end up leaning more because you're trying to compensate for your, you know, the length of your arms. Sure. You're trying to cover the ground, probably end up breaking your back. Whereas if you have longer arms, you can sit back and just play, play, with, the, play with the D end. Of, yeah. D-line or whatever. But he does a really good job. He's patient with his hands. He's good with his feet. His feet make up for it. He's, he's a really good player. He's a really good player. Anyone else you like a lot? Uh, Like Paris Johnson? Yeah, he's cool. He's cool. He's all right. I'm, <laughs> I'm the greatest guy. So, so, me, so that kind of sounds like if, if you rooted for a team that drafted Paris Johnson, you wouldn't be happy on draft day. No, no, no. I don't really care for that. It's just, you know, my inner competitiveness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, No, I feel you. Soon uh, it's gonna be about me. So, well, uh, when's uh, you guys got your spring game coming up soon, right? No, we don't. We canceled it. Oh, okay. We didn't have enough O linemen. <laughs> Everybody's transferring out. So gotcha. Kinda, okay. Uh, how you I feeling know. about the uh, Big Twelve move? Uh, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, UT got some UT people here. You know, I gotta, I gotta destroy them. Come yeah. back here, talk my stuff. Oh. You know what I'm saying. I'd imagine you're but, gonna walk yeah, it's out like, one day. And- I like coming in to like oh. New territory, you know, expectations. Nobody knows. They're like, oh, are they going to be good? Are they going to be bad? I just, I can't wait to just show everybody. Show nice. Uh, so what, uh, so let's plug some of the stuff you got going on. So yeah. we got you coming up here weekly doing a podcast. I got to tune in. Ural Speaks on YouTube. So, okay. So what is it again? Ural Speaks. Ural Speaks. Yeah. Okay. And you guys are dropping your second episode today. Yeah. Of the Rupil. And uh, where do you got? Who you got with you this week? Which are your teammates you have come up with you? I had my boy Trevante. He's an insurance reporter right now, and Jacob Garza, our long snapper. Oh, yeah. the long snapper! He's cool. John Weeks action. So now, now, now let's go behind the scenes here, Andrew. So, so the long snapper comes up. One of the guys didn't make it on camera. Do you think it was the long snapper that didn't make it on camera? Oh, absolutely I'm not. Gonna, Oh, I think yeah. the long snapper wants to be on camera. How many, yeah. how many, shots the long, how many yeah. times did the long snapper get the opportunity to be on camera? So Never. was the, so was the long Crazy. snapper on camera, or was he the one off camera, Ruben? Yeah, I ain't gonna lie. Joke's on you, Andrew. He was definitely off the camera. <laughs> I, I thought he was going to take Never advantage. Shot. I thought he was going to take advantage yeah, of his chance to shine. We wouldn't even let that happen. Damn. <laughs> That's a tough life. They already have the easiest practice, like... You understand the specialists in practice, they don't bro, they don't do nothing. Like, so so what kick, you're telling me, kickers aren't people. Nah, they're people, but like <laughs> they just have to wait wait their turn, you know what I'm saying? They yeah. can't get any special privileges than they already have. They, they gotta wait a lot. Okay. Okay. I have a question for y'all though. What yeah. do y'all feel about the Texans trading that pick? Are y'all twelve or two? Two. I um, talked about that in my podcast, and I was like, I feel like they could. And if you're not going to take a quarterback, I would like to trade back to. Exactly. That's how I feel. That's how I feel. Yeah. Exactly. If you're not taking a quarterback, trade back. A hundred percent. Trade back. I think it, it's it's been out there that the Raiders only like Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. Okay. So like, if they want CJ Stroud that bad, 
then like I would trade back to seven hundred percent. And like especially if you can get a first, because like I don't know, man. Like I I don't buy into Josh McDaniels, mm. and like I think when you trade with someone, like there's like a risk. Like you want you want that team to fail. Yeah, like you want them Bags. to have a top five pick. Like, so like Bags. I think trading with the Raiders, like Jimmy Garoppolo, like you clearly don't believe in CJ Stroud. So then, like, yeah, you trade him, CJ Stroud. Like, Josh Jacobs won't sign his franchise tag. He's not happy. Damn. Like, Devontae Adams probably ain't happy with the fact that, like, he went there to play with Derek Carr. So, like, I would trade that pick. If if they don't like Stroud, I think it's a mistake. Because, like, I like Tyree Wilson, but, like, do I like him at two? No, probably not. Exactly. Do I like him at seven? Yeah. Seven? Yeah, like, if you trade back to seven, like, take him there, like, Why? I think that makes more sense. Well, like, who else is Tyree Wilson better than to take him at seven, of the other pass rushers, I, yeah. I well, would you put him in front of Miles Murphy? I mean, because no, so, I wouldn't put him in front of Miles Murphy based off like what they actually sure. do. But so like, like you would put Nolan Smith and, and Miles Murphy ahead of Tyree, hundred percent. That's fine. Like if you take any some of those guys, two guys above Tyree Wilson, and just on if you go off the game, right? Derek Parrish, right? Uh-huh. Our, our DN had four and a half sacks against Texas Tech. Four and a half sacks against Texas Tech. You know how many Tyree Wilson had? Zero. I think he had like a half sack. A half sack? Mm-hmm. Well, because he was going against you. No, but not even that. <laughs> look at it. Like if some dude had four and a half sacks. Like, yeah. And he only played three games. He had like he had the most sacks in the nation in like the first like three games this season with like six. Yeah. Then he then he ruptured his bicep. That get, like there's so many sleepers in this draft. I feel like yeah, like it's easy to see the top names that you always see being cycled to like. You can believe a Tyree Wilson at two mm. or a seven, but if you really like deep dive into this draft, you like some of the other guys that like are being like a little more what? undervalued. What? All right, understand? he he is uh, Ruben Nije. You can find him on Twitter at R U N I J E, and that's your Instagram as well. I'm guessing my Instagram is R E U dot R E U. Yeah, man, you got to get those things the same. Uh, <laughs> you can find him there. He's Andrew Carlson. We got one more segment left to go. Uh, the Rockets coaching search is well underway. We got second interviews, and the name that everybody likes uh, might not be an option for the Rockets after all. We hit on that next year on the bullpen on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. And this is the bullpen on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here are the producers of ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. All right. Circus Sportsbook. Best sportsbook in the world. <laughs> you might change your mind. Will Levis. A minus one Forty betting favorite. Oh, to be the second pick in the 2023 NFL draft. It's a very recent development, Joe. Just, just today. Look, Jeremy Branham is throwing a celebration party somewhere. Uh, going off what we were talking about just there with Ruben, though, I, I do. It doesn't say he's the the betting favorite to be a Houston Texan. Just the second overall pick. So, like, part of me is like, do they? Do they really? Yeah, I think the answer is yes. Uh, Will Levis opened at plus 450 yesterday, uh, Circus Sports, uh, to be the, the number two pick. Today's a minus 140. Uh, so the momentum is swinging for Will Levis. <sighs> Lovely. To be the pick at two for the Houston Texans. Circus still holds a great place in my heart, though, even despite that terrible just, news. It just is upsetting you a little bit. Just a we bit. might have to call him and say, hey, guys, can you take this off the board? It's just upsetting us. Like, that's a tough. I don't. I, I don't want to agree with this line. Uh, yeah, I don't think. 
It's hard not to watch the highlights of Will Levis and not get excited. He's super athletic. He's got a cannon. He can make a lot of really good throws, but he makes a lot of bad throws. That con- like the injury stuff is a concern. You know, like he's got a like he's gonna need to work with like the Astros on learning how to slide. If you think you can mold Will Levis, I am okay with the pick. Am I yeah. a fan of it in terms of what my own eyes tell me? Not really. But, but if you and your staff believe that you can develop the clay that is Will Levis and mold it into a really good quarterback, then by all means, go ahead and take him. And I can't complain too much because, hey, it's our quarterback of the future. All right, let's get into this Rocket stuff here just a little bit. Um, so, M.A. Doka and um, Frank Vogel are going to be part of the second interviews for the Rockets job. Nick Nurse fired by the Toronto Raptors. He will now be included in the second round of interviews. So really he'll be on his first, but he's going to be heavily involved in the process. You know, Sam Cassell interviewed this week. I've not seen anything official about a second interview for him. But if the candidates are Vogel, Adoka, and Nick Nurse, I feel pretty good. I'll be honest. It feels a lot like the Texans coaching search from this past offseason, does it not? Where you had a couple of Really awful seasons for the Rockets. It's now three awful seasons. And you know what? It looked like the franchise was totally incompetent for a little while. And all of a sudden, once they decided to kick it into gear with the coaching search and start interviewing some legit candidates and names, that's when the rebuild really starts to get going. Yeah. I, I feel like that's sort of where the Rockets are. No, I think so too. And Emi Adoka is, you know, I got an email this morning from, I think it was one of the offshore sites that. Adoka is the betting favorite to be the next head coach of the Raptors. And that would make sense. Yeah, it would. Um, and, you know, I think people would be disappointed. Um, but just because someone is available doesn't mean that they are a real candidate. You know, it's kind of like Ben Johnson with the Texans. Like, everyone wanted Ben Johnson. I wanted Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator for the Lions, to be the next head coach of the Texans. He withdrew before anything. If Adoka knows he's going to be the next head coach of the Raptors, he's going to take that over this Rockets yeah. job. Like that's just the current position of the two franchises. But I would legitimately be happy with any of those three options, just because it would be such a great deviation from what we've seen over the last few seasons. Frank Vogel's at the bottom of the three. For I agree, but you know he he's done some good things in the NBA. To where like I, I don't think that they are going backwards with that hire. And I think people also forget that. Frank Vogel was the coach of those Indiana teams that pushed the LeBron-led Miami Heat, the big three, the Heels, for six, seven games in the Eastern Conference Finals. Those were very good and very well-coached teams. If Paul George doesn't break his leg, like there's a lot of things that could go differently for the that Pacers because like once he did that, his Pacers career was kind of over at that point. So like I I think Frank Vogel does make a lot of sense, you know, for the Rockets where they are as an organization. The thing I like it the most, even though. The, the meddling from Rafael Stone was over two years ago at this point. And, you know, even he listened to Silas when Silas said, don't get involved like that. You don't have any of those concerns with any of these three candidates. So I think the one that would get the people the most excited would be Udoka um, and then Nick Nurse. And then, I, I mean, I think it's going to be Nick Nurse. I, I do as well. And it's hard, it would hard not to be excited about it would hard not to be excited about what Nick Nurse would bring to the table with his track record of youth development and the way that he has sort of fostered the careers of Pascal Siakam, mm-hmm. OJ Ananobi, Fred Van Vliet. None, like, especially a guy like Fred Van Vliet, there were not 
very high expectations of him coming in from Wichita State to the NBA. And the player that he's turned into, the player that Siakam's turned into, it would hard not it would be very, very difficult not to be excited as a Rockets fan to see that and say, Hey, you know what? I think that this guy could be very good for our youth players. Yeah, I, I think you know, obviously the big difference is that the Texans, it was their fault they didn't get the first pick in the draft. The Rockets, we are uh like twenty 26 days away or something like that. I think May 16th is the lottery. That's obviously like the big moment in time for the Rockets this offseason is like, is you know, what is happening, you know, at you know, with the lottery and like how it goes. It just, it changes everything. So he's Andrew Carlson. I'm Joe George. You can find us on Twitter at Carlson Radio at Joe George Radio. We'll be back next Saturday from 12 to 2. Full reaction to the NFL draft. The draft will be happening as we are on the air, rounds four, five, six, and seven. Uh, so we have all that coverage for you here next weekend as well. You guys can find me on the Killer Bees Monday through Friday from 12 to 3. Andrew with the wheelhouse from 3 to 7. We will talk to you guys later. Check out the bullpen tomorrow at 10 o'clock with Brian, RJ, and Sean. See you later. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.